Hello, um, I am back again. I did not sleep well last night, but here I am with another episode, even though I'm very tired, but this is something that I really want to talk about. So, we're talking about green capitalism in this episode, which is essentially an adaptation of capitalism in the era of climate change and excessive waste production. Um, we can see eco bags, uh, packaging using recycled materials, etc. Like, et there are a bunch. There's like a bunch of examples um, of like green capitalism, and I'm not simply posing a critique about these practices. Like, there's nothing wrong with trying to shift individual consumption habits, and this is not to disregard. Uh, these practices as ethical considerations to control individual environmental impact and carbon emission. But rather, it's asking questions from a broader paradigm about how they're accepted because they remain unthreatening to capital accumulation. So in essence, these greener consumerist practices are still consumerist. And Anti-consumerism has been co-opted as a palatable aesthetic to approach reformed consumerism. And I guess we just have to imagine capitalism as something that has agency and is quite strong. And capitalism and consumerism keep updating themselves. So they're not simply static objects with no adaptive power or fluid subjectivity, they involve to sustain the logic of profit accumulation. So then when we're talking about anti-consumerism, we're not talking about like alternative ways of consuming because these consumptions are arguably, well, more ethical, I think, but only without considering other aspects of consumption, transmission, and transportation of objects and commodities. We don't simply buy stuff that the capital has produced for us. We interact with the process of production and transmission. Like, what would happen to seasonal franchise once they're like out of season? Um, they may be recycled. I don't know. They, they may be trans... Like, they may end up in the global south, you know, like secondhand clothing, um, secondhand clothing that vintage resellers didn't want to buy. And then there's plastic toys, all of them, I don't know, if, if, not, go to, if not going to waste, they're going to be ended up in the global south. So, but food, food, yeah, food is more complex but also somehow more straightforward than this, like the movements of food, if we want to put it academically. But it's really just like a lot of them, a lot of food from big corporations, like they just get thrown away if no one buys them. And this creates a, like a false sense of scarcity that somehow humans don't have enough food and we need to produce more food. And that connects to the animal uh, industry where, you know, animals are being slaughtered purely because we, like, 
we created this false sense that we need a we need to consume a lot of them. We don't. <laughs> it's like the exact opposite. We produce too much. Um, there are too many advertisements going around to convince people that you need all of these and then throw the rest away when they overproduce or overmake things. And when it comes to big corporations, ethics ethics becomes a really big issue. Um, I think the BDS movement is making a lot of people realize, and that includes me, that a lot of us don't really need to consume a lot of things like McDonald's most of the time or Starbucks. The, the coffee sucks anyway. But like you see these corporations like McDonald's now getting a little concerned about boycotting and lowering their prices to sell more. Then I'm seeing these like 50% off McDonald's ice creams. I don't like ice creams, by the way. And I realized how much money they've been taking. Like they've been taking from me. I mean, like I always know that they're like, like overpriced, but seeing them in numbers, like in actual manifestations of like numbers still shocked me. You know what? I think we should just boycott like McDonald's forever. <laughs> like we only need McDonald's because of the capitalist work ethic under this productivist worldview. Like, you can skip meal times, you can disrespect your meal, you can consider them unnecessary, and just, like, they can just be substituted with McDonald's so you can eat along while watching some stupid YouTube videos. And don't get me wrong, I also love fast food sometimes. Um, I have, like, NW once in a while. But it really isn't because AMW or McDonald tastes amazing. It's really because we live in a world so centered around fastness, productivity, even though a lot of people, like workers, are getting simply exploited and doing bullshit jobs with dealing with information every day. I actually find myself struggling with breakfast a lot of the time. Like, it's very concerning. It's like, I don't know, grad school really gave me disordered eating, I guess. So sometimes I would just get myself, like, fast food so I don't starve when I'm at school. And there's also no, like, food places at Miguel, for fuck's sake. Um, anyways, so, it like, I don't think it's fair to blame people, like, workers who are, like, still consuming McDonald's because, like, First of all, you gotta you gotta work. You gotta pay the bills. You gotta have some cheap and fast options under this like uh, work ethic society. <laughs> what am I saying? But like, you know, the fast paced work ethic, and I don't know. But I like I see no reason for not boycotting Starbucks. Guys, it's like literally so easy. It's like it's not hard. A lot of coffee coffee shops have better and cheaper coffee. Like the only reason I see people needing to buy Starbucks right now is to cosplay as like a Christian white girl. But it's winter now and you can just have any coffee, frankly. Well, I'm talking about consumption again. <laughs> so I guess it's like it's undeniable that it is extremely hard or rather impossible to not consume 
or even just consume consciously, because the system is designed to be easily addictive for a mindless consumption. It is impossible to escape consumption. I'm like, I'm not advocating for zero consumption to achieve some um, mysterious sense of zero and complexity under capitalism. That's really unrealistic. Um, here's an example. I got into the habit of drinking coffee or consuming caffeine, like any type of caffeine. And I eventually developed a strong dependency on coffee because school life, surprisingly, is very, very fast-paced. Um, you need to stay perpetually productive somehow. And the most harmless substance or stimulants you can get or consume is coffee. And comparatively, like I know people who develop uh, dependencies for Coke and Adderall. So coffee or caffeine is not that bad comparatively. Plus, I think it really unlocked a lot of my unreleased potential for studying because I'm always like sleepy in the morning. But coffee kind of changed that. You know, I've always drank tea, but they don't really wake me up. They do calm me down though, but they don't wake me up. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I find it so funny because now I can't go through my seminars like with full attention without some like some type of caffeine, like usually coffee or espresso. Uh, but then I think about how humans, like our attention spans are supposed to be periodic. So I don't even need to pressure myself into staying awake and be productive all the time. And there are a lot of other ways to drink and enjoy coffee or caffeine without linking them to work or school. But then we live in the Anthropocene where everything is tied to production and consumption. And undeniably, we're so easily manipulatable by advertisements. Like, I'm so easily affected by advertisements on Instagram with scary precisions, now with the help of algor like algorithms and machine learning technologies. Yeah, they really work. I mean, if they don't work, if they didn't work, they would not be so persistent in our society. There are a lot of marketing strategies, I think, but probably a really effective one that I can think of is FOMO, like fear of missing out. It's like a tactic uh, tactic of releasing limited edition and like seasonal goods, which are quite like, um, but then they will be removed from the shelves after the sales period. And we all know what happens to the on-sale products. They remain as like plastic waste. That's just going to be like garbage. Um, and then this becomes a very reliant um, economic strategy, I think, because big corporations love to increase their sales with this sense of like limitness, like limitness or seasonality, if that's a word. Starbucks, for example, um, the red cups thing that they have like every year, I saw an Instagram info infographic saying that this is like their most uh, profitable income day of the year. But most people I know who got the cup like almost never used them. <laughs> they wanted them because they know it'll be they'll be gone, um, and they're not they're no longer for sale the next day, 
And this really resonated with the example of throwing food away when they're like not brought because they both create a falsified sense of scarcity. That's why they work, I think, in this current environment because it's social. It's also social pressure because you don't want to miss out on this. You don't want to like lose this opportunity when you can totally miss this. Like you can totally miss out on a cup. <laughs> um. I have a mug and a water bottle, so this is like more than enough. But if let's say a corporation wants to give me a free cup, it's gonna be super appealing, even though I like don't need it at all. Um, this mentality of you can, you're getting things for free so that you've kind of like tr- like tricked out of capitalism. Like this can be applied to everything except for food. For me, I think food is worth spending money, as long as it's not like crazy expensive. You know, I I enjoy eating out. I enjoy buying food and making them like making myself a good meal. I just feel like our relationship with nature, food, and communities are all heavily commodified and like alienated. We own things that don't really matter to us, and it's like. Becoming a really issue because it hasn't always been like this. At least, like at least for me, I am a firm believer that when you have a thing, um, when you possess a thing like a photograph or I don't know something you've owned for a long period of time, they begin to possess spirits and souls. <laughs> I I still carry my uh, first camera every time I'm traveling, even though I don't necessarily use it. It still works. Um, but it just doesn't work as great as my phone now. Like, I got the camera in middle school, so that's like eight, nine years, eight eight years ago. It's a Sony XR hundred, and it's the Model Three. Now it's like Model Seven or something. Um, my mom paid for the uh paid for half of it. The other half just came from like New Year savings for like two years, and I cherished this camera. Very, very, very much. It was my first camera. It's still my only camera, actually, but it represented so much back then. Um, just to think about how my mom has been very supportive of my hobbies. Well, just I guess photography. She hated that I play video games, but she did consider photography as somewhat like better, more accepted, more elegant hobby. <laughs> Um, and this camera became my entry point for digital photography, and then digital filmography, and then films, and then media series and books or whatever in general. I just I will not forget about the feeling of not sleeping just so I can figure out how the mechanism of a camera works. It was a feeling that is so hard to attain now, even though. Even if I buy a new thing that I'm gonna use it for years, I just feel like nothing. Even if I do get a like a new camera after, this camera will stay with me forever. Period. It's not rundown. It's still functional. It's like becoming somewhat of an antique, since like cameras evolve so damn fast now, and then phone cameras are getting better and better. Oh. This now reminds me of my first iPhone. <laughs> it was a second-hand iPhone 4S from my uncle who was working 
uh, for like a foreign company. And then when like the iPhone 5 or 5S came out, and then he's getting rid of the old phone, and he's about to sell it. But I'm like, if you're going to sell it, why don't you, like, why can't you just give it to me? Um, so I got my first secondhand iPhone, and then that got me into like phone photography. That's another story. Off topic, <laughs> but I just finished uh, Guy Debord's, Debord, Guy Debord, French names, um, <laughs> his essay uh, called The Society of Spectacles, basically a critique on a lot of things, on spectacles as commodities and how they serve as absolute fulfillment of commodity fetishism when they're homogenizing objects. Um, but then for me, um, these objects, as long as they do not take on like human qualities, they're like mystical, they're really not part of the critique. And the homogenized spectacle should be about, should really be about like quality over quantity in reproducing images and spectacles and commodities. I'll talk about this later. Um, I actually believe this essay on uh, this essay is quite relevant in I don't know talking about environmentalism and capitalism, but yeah. Um, camera, <laughs> this Sony camera, the use value of this camera is indescribable for me, and I'm sure all of you has have like something similar that you will want to keep forever. Maybe it's like a piece of clothing a piece of art, or even like a recipe from home that you like memorized. They don't even need to have like physical forms. But when you have a price tag, uh, a price tag for those in, I don't know, vintage, reseller, depop, whatever store, they just become objects. The souls are stripped away from their physicalities. They're simply like, functional commodities for sale despite them carrying like such perplexed emotions and memories <laughs> i'm i'm really i'm really starting to understand what people mean when they say object have souls obviously a thing has to like stay long like stay with you long enough for you to feel a soul connection but you know time will prove their use values um Oh my god, we're talking about green capitalism. <laughs> um, shopping. Green capitalism wants you to shop as... Like, shopping alternatively. So not shopping for, like, I don't know, Shein or, like, H&M. But, like, shopping alternatively. Um, first of all, shopping, not affordable to everyone. <laughs> I used to attach a lot of meanings when I'm shopping and I wanted a lot of things even though I don't need them at all. Um, you know, they're nice to own, but I have sort of convinced myself that they're not necessities in my life. I've been thinking about this like philosophically because like I was born with nothing and then I'll eventually leave this world with nothing. So I've come to accept that not everything is a like, a part of life. No one, like, no one on earth has everything, and that's okay. People who, like, even for people who are materially, like, well-off, they're not necessarily always happy, you know. 
And I stopped being jealous of people who are like rich enough to get all of these cameras and filming equipments. Um, Cause it doesn't matter, you know? I wanted to be a content creator <laughs> in high school, but then I was very much um, immersed myself into this quantity over quality logic. Um, I just wanted to show people that I'm capable of producing and making content. But then later, I realized good content creation takes teamwork and it becomes a commodifiable practice. So let's say if you want to make like vlogs on TikTok, um, obviously you can do it alone, but then with teams and then if you're trying to have like promotion and like partnerships or other shit, like you, you might as well get a team or whatever. But then that kind of made me lost interest I've wanted to I've always wanted to make films like since I was a like since I was a kid but I don't want them to just be digestible products I want them like I want them I need them to be meaningful I don't want to make like I don't want to make a lot of movies so people can like watch them and say oh this movie's a hit this movie's a miss or they're all misses they're all shit you know like quantity over quality I'm like slowly realizing this mindset is a white supremacy mindset and how it manifests in various forms of producing artistically or not, you know. Anyways, I really went off topic with consumerism (laughs) or not. Actually, I think a big portion of consumerism goes to quantity over quality. So exchange value over use value. Even after realizing the unethicality of consumption, people, um, you know, some people decide to indulge in alternative ways of consuming to satisfy their, like, desire. Um, I don't know, for example, um, people who want you to shop local. Um, I don't really want to say this, but... A lot of local stores and local business owners are just small capitalists. <laughs> they possess the like the same mindset of the big corporations. Yes, yes, go support your local businesses as alternatives. But the mindset of endless consumption and infinite capital growth needs to be challenged and eventually abolished. Degrowth. It's pro- like it's how we fight consumerist capitalism, or at least a great option to fight capitalism. And this is not an easy topic, and it does not come with set answers. So I'm simply raising questions here. What would be an ideal way to practice degrowth and alternate or modify our consumption habits in a hyper-consumerist society? you know, in the society of spectacles. I honestly don't have an answer, but, well, the best thing to do now, boycott big corporations. They're doing, like, literally the most harm right now. I don't know, like, if, like, I don't know if environmental justice can happen through modifying consumption habits, but environmental justice will definitely not happen when we support corporations that, Support genocide, right? Okay. 
Anyways, that's it for Green Capitalism. Thank you for listening, and see you next time. Bye!